Welcome to The Pharmacy Benefit, a podcast that highlights the role of PBMs in serving millions of patients and consumers throughout the country. I'm Claire Wolfenyarek, in for J.C. Scott. Today, we're talking about the COVID-19 vaccine, an extremely top-of-mind issue for all of us right now, particularly since so many started receiving the vaccine only last month. According to the CDC, approximately 200,000 are being vaccinated each day. Impressive as that figure is, it's far below the goal of 1 million vaccinations a day that we really need to get to that goal of herd immunity. Today, we're pausing to talk about the vaccine itself to give our listeners as much information as we can and about equitable distribution or ways we can all ensure the people who need it most are getting it. Joining me today are two guests who can offer great guidance and perspective. Janet Mikulski is a nationally recognized expert and innovator in the field of stakeholder alliance development and programming. Her background encompasses work on Capitol Hill, campaign and issue management, and strategic communications, as well as working side by side with healthcare and patient advocates across the country. Experiences no doubt crucial as she now leads the COVID-19 Vaccine Education and Equity Project. For nearly a decade, Janet helped Pfizer establish long-term trusting partnerships with nonprofit patient advocacy organizations. These partnerships help build a louder, impactful, and credible voice on behalf of critically ill patients. Susan Winkler is CEO of the Reagan Udall Foundation for the Food and Drug Administration. The foundation is the nonprofit organization created by Congress to advance the mission of the FDA. Previously, Susan served as chief of staff to the FDA commissioner serving both Republican and Democratic commissioners as their senior most staff advisor. Susan analyzed complex policy challenges and represented FDA with myriad government entities and stakeholders alike. Prior to her leadership of the Reagan Udall Foundation, Susan served as president of the Levitt Partners, a national healthcare strategy firm founded by former governor and health and human services secretary, Mike Levitt. She also held top posts at the Healthcare Transformation Task Force, Food and Drug Law Institute, and American Pharmacists Association. Susan and Janet, thank you so much for joining us today. We're so delighted to have you. Such an important conversation. Uh, I, I think we should just dig in. Such a timely topic. Um, Susan, we'd love to start with you and talking about the vaccine itself and the really historic factors behind its development. You know, when compared against other virus outbreaks and pandemics, moving from identifying the disease to a safe and effective vaccine that's taken years in some cases, but here we are less than a year and we have our vaccine at our doorsteps. It's really extraordinary. Would you agree? Absolutely. And it's extraordinary for a number of different reasons. It was the top priority for scientists and public health professionals, for companies and regulators. We had extraordinary, to use your descriptor, which I think is apt, collaboration to identify targets for a vaccine, what we wanted to have happen. Then recruiting for clinical trials was easier because there were lots of people eligible for those trials. The manufacturers made the vaccine. They manufactured it at risk before they had even gone under regulatory review so that we would be ready should the vaccine be authorized, that it would be ready to be distributed and then you had literally hundreds of FDA staff members reviewing the regulatory package simultaneously to move it as quickly as possible. So what a, you know, a result of focused 
effort by a number of individuals and organizations. Absolutely. You know, Susan, it strikes me, it sounds a lot like a lot of the typical steps in this process, which of, of course you've all mentioned, they, they were all just sort of happening at the same time. Did that really drive the speed of this effort? It really did. And it's one of the things is if we think about this as a process, if you had a horizontal line, what happened is we compressed a whole lot of things into a much shorter, fatter line um, where we could do things simultaneously. And we had lots of people working on things to move them simply much more quickly than you would in a typical vaccine development process. Just so incredible. Now, Janet, help us understand the, the process a bit. What, what was the review, the oversight, all that was really involved to ensure the vaccine that's getting into folks' arms today is safe and effective and does exactly what we all need it to do? Thank you for that question, because I think it really is probably the one that people think about, and I don't want to say worry about, but think about the most right now. And I think you have to look back at the FDA's longstanding uh, reputation as really the gold standard for the world. They work with the pharmaceutical companies to develop the standards that, that are necessary in executing a clinical trial, which was done at, at light speed on these vaccines. So you have the FDA really monitoring and focused on what the companies are doing as they're proceeding with their vaccines. And candidly, you also have a lot of that was built into the system that we have had a number of pandemics, none of them like this pandemic. But when you look at SARS and a number of the other real infectious threats that we've had in the last decade or two, there's been a lot of research that's been done both within the government and in private sector sectors and academia to really help position us to be able to move with the speed of science, um, to move forward. You have hundreds of thousands of individuals that stepped up in a really courageous way to be part of the clinical trials and said, I want to help us move to the point where we can have a vaccine that can return our world to what we want it to be. So you have all of those individuals in the clinical trials. And now you have, what, 10 million people already having been vaccinated. That's a pretty exciting thing when you do look at it as all being done within less than a year and with the really thorough oversight of the FDA scientists, researchers, physicians, and everybody involved. It's really incredible. Such a historic Herculean effort that really was successful because of this tremendous experience and coordination as, as you both have shared. Now we have moved into another phase, haven't we? From vaccine development to mass immunization. And it's, it's a similarly historic Herculean effort with a lot of moving pieces. So let, let's kind of dig in there. We're a few weeks into this effort to get every American, really every global citizen, vaccinated just as quickly as possible. And this is a question for both of you. How are things going? So Claire, I'll, I'll jump in and say things could be going better, but we are getting vaccine out of vials and into arms. And now we've got to figure out how do we do more of that? Where can we get vaccine into willing individuals where we can? Let's, let's do it. So deploying health professionals at at fairgrounds or stadiums, wherever necessary, 
I, now's the time to to get the vaccine into individuals and and to have the conversations with those folks who are hesitant or have some concern about the vaccine. Let's have those conversations so they have enough information to make their own decision about whether or not to receive the vaccine. Susan, I completely agree with you on that. I mean, I think that what we have to do is get the information out to as many people as possible. And then I honestly, if you look at the data from polling of who was willing to put out, roll up their sleeve and get the vaccine, how much has shifted since even September, October, and in large part because at the time we didn't know how efficacious it was. We didn't know it was going to be over 90% effective and being able to protect you. And we didn't know, we didn't have the full amount of data on what the side effects might or might not be. So we now look at it as a safe, you know, as much as we can tell. But as I say, with 10 million people having been vaccinated, you begin to get a data set that really shows you the safety and efficacy. And that's really exciting. You know, unfortunately, Christmas and New Year's were in there, which I think, you know, is an issue. But I think we've now all governors, counties, you know, state health departments are all really focused on how do we get this in as many arms as possible to protect particularly the most vulnerable at first and then the rest of the general population. So it it does sort of beg the question, knowing what we know now and having about a month of experience in, where should our focus be turning? What types of maybe different approaches should we be thinking about to get into that next phase of, of really much broader vaccine access. So I'll jump in and note that this is where we really have to expand not only awareness about the vaccine, but that we invite and respond to questions about the vaccine. So we know there's hesitancy to receive the vaccine, particularly in minority communities and essential workers. That's who we, we conducted a project to speak specifically to them. And they had questions about how could the vaccine possibly be developed so quickly? Concern and distrust uh, of the government that politics and economics might be prioritized over science. And then just the reality of historic and current racial and ethnic disparities. We have to respond to those questions. We have to have conversations to explain how the vaccine was developed so quickly to explain that scientists and career public health officials, not politicians or their appointees, made the decision to authorize the vaccine and to underscore that the clinical trials were quite diverse to make sure that the vaccine works for everyone. But those are those are conversations that we need to have. I agree, Susan. And I think the conversations that are going on with some of the black and brown healthcare professionals have also been a huge help in building a level of understanding and little by little a comfort that this is something that's that's safe and effective for all the communities. And I think you're absolutely right also to point out that the clinical trials were done in a really exceptional way, including not only race, ethnicity, but age. I mean, given that we see so many of of the mortality rate um, being so much higher within the older population, it was really important that there be a large number of people within those populations 
to be tested in the clinical trials and to show that it is safe and effective for them. But I think the more that, that the professionals within the healthcare community, the religious community, sort of all of the, and you've done some great research on this, Susan, as to who are the messengers that are most likely to be trusted and what are the messages that would be would resonate the best within the communities that have historical distrust for the healthcare industry. But I think that's what's going to move us forward. Susan, if we could, um, as Janet noted, there has been just an extraordinary effort led by the Reagan Udall Foundation to identify the best ways to promote awareness, the top messengers, the top messages. What and in, in what in your findings, what does seem to work best when trying to get the word out about the vaccine? And and does that differ at all for different people? Yeah. So it's I'd say the most important thing is to to listen. So that's this this concept. If if folks are hesitant or they have questions, we have to listen and we need to to respond to those questions. And we need to respond with trusted messengers. Our project showed that local healthcare professionals, so the physicians, the nurses, the pharmacists, along with health experts and FDA, were all credible messengers to answer questions. And they were far more trusted than where we might typically go, which would be to celebrities. Now, I think celebrities have a, a, a role in raising awareness, but we shouldn't be surprised that celebrities aren't well positioned to answer questions about the vaccine development process. And that should be from healthcare professionals who I know who, who look like me and can help me understand that, in fact, I am getting the same vaccine as other people. It was tested in people who look like me and have the same social experiences like me. So it should be effective in me. We need to have those conversations and, and share what we know about how we got here so quickly, who made the decision, as well as, you know, be candid about the fact that we're still continuing to learn about the virus. But what we know today is that the vaccine and having a number of individuals immunized, you know, getting that vaccine in their arms is our best path to protecting our family and others from having to face this infection. Susan, it sounds so much like sort of the old approach of meeting people where they are, speaking really directly one-on-one. Is is that in many ways what the foundation has found is these just have to be really personal conversations. Very much so. And including we had one one person in a listening session who said, you know, I want to see somebody who looks like me get the vaccine and then see that they're okay. That's part of what we need to show. And now, as Janet noted, it's no longer a question of being first to receive the vaccine. We now have millions of people who have received the vaccine. We have to talk about that and then make sure that we can deploy and get millions, tens of millions more to have their questions answered and ready to roll up their sleeve. And I would just say, Claire and Susan, the coalition that I'm working with or the project, which is the COVID Vaccine Education and Equity Project, it's a mouthful, I'm sorry, has 
put on their website a discussion guide, which is very much what Susan's talking about is how do you talk about this with your family members, with your neighbors? How do you begin to build that trust to know that all the I's have been dotted? There have no, not been any shortcuts. It might have been done quickly, but there were not shortcuts. It was just done with an extraordinary amount of effort at every level. And so how do we help you know, in the discussion guide, it talks about how do you talk to, you know, your grandparents? How do you talk to, you know, the different racial and ethnic minorities within the country? How do you show them the data of how how many people were involved in the clinical trials that do look like them, per Susan's comment? So really, and, and the other piece of it is anybody that has some health issues, there's been a lot of questions. If I'm on infusion therapy for my cancer. Should I get the, the vaccine or not? So you you want um, some of the cancer groups to be part of this project to really talk about what are the implications. If you have arthritis and you're on medications, you know, should you be getting the vaccine? So what you'll see in the project is over 120, I think we are voices now from the Hispanic medical to the black nurses to, you know, really the whole panoply of organizations really speaking with one voice and trying to answer those questions in a thoughtful and comprehensive way of why the risk benefit is clearly weighing on the side of getting a vaccination because the number of people that are dying disproportionately within the black and brown community is is unacceptable. Um, and we need to really encourage and work with these communities to develop a level of trust and confidence that the vaccine is really right for them, you know, right as in you know, I put it in air quotes, um, but is the is the thing that they should be doing to protect their health, their parents' health, their grandparents' health. Janet, it really sounds like we have to have an all hands on deck approach. And it's not just the vaccine makers and government officials and the traditional public health authorities, but so many within the private sector and beyond amplifying these core conversations and the need and importance of them. Janet, the COVID-19 Vaccine Education Equity Project that you lead currently includes more than 120 partner organizations, ranging from patient foundations to industry associations. Can you share an example from these partners of how the private sector is helping to promote vaccine awareness? Interesting. Good question. You know, I, I, I think you see um, a lot of work being done actually through the Chamber of Commerce, through the through National through NAM, through the BRT, in trying to help employers try to figure out how to, without doing mandates, really incentivize and and share information. Um, I think all three of them have materials on their website. I think you see Bio, the trade association representing so many of the companies that are that are working on these vaccines and developing. They've got some really fabulous materials on their website to share and to be passed around to the community to, to just give more facts and data that can make people feel more confident. So I think you see a lot of people really digging in to try to help people feel calm and confident that we have done as a country, as a healthcare system, what needs to be done to ensure that these vaccines are as safe and effective as possible 
and that we can return our lives to where we'd like them to be and protect the public health of everybody. And I'd add there, those are great examples. And the private sector effort here has been really impressive. But I think each healthcare profession is also looking at how do we, it's not only empowering their members, members of their profession to talk about the vaccine, but giving them the information that they need. If we found that they were the trusted messengers, they have to be confident in the information and look at it a little more carefully. So they will want to know, why is it a two-dose regimen? And what should I tell people to expect? How do I answer that question about if I'm a patient with cancer or a patient with arthritis and, and what are the, the risk factors for me? So that I've really been appreciative of the healthcare professions digging in and, and really any member, anybody who works in healthcare, I'm going to guess that all three of us have gotten questions about healthcare and for sure about the COVID-19 vaccine that you just wouldn't expect, but we, we are the de facto health experts in our social circles. And that's an opportunity. So whether you're actively in healthcare or it's in that text that comes and says, should I get a vaccine? We should be prepared with that answer or the opportunity to share resources and help people get those answers. Absolutely. We all have a role to play as the de facto health expert and vaccine expert or, or not. Before we wrap up, I think this has just been such an excellent conversation and, and no doubt we could probably spend quite a bit more time going through where we are and where we're going. But as we look ahead, I do just want to ask you both one closing question. What is one thing, one message that you hope our listeners will take away from this conversation and, and try to apply to their own vaccine promotion efforts, as it were? You know, um, Janet, I'll jump in. Please. I'd say, you know, it took an extraordinary effort to yield a vaccine, and now we need to use it and recognize that that's going to take conversation and dialogue, not dismissiveness. We have to hear concerns and respond and empower individuals with the facts to decide whether or not to get the vaccine. And now's the time to have those conversations. I agree, Susan. And I think the facts and the data is there. And the more people that get the vaccine, I mean, I've heard even healthcare professionals say, yeah, I'd like to wait six months <laughs> and make sure it's all good. But the good news is we're almost at six months. We've been getting, people have been getting these vaccines in their arms for six months. And we're now, you know, every week that goes by, it's another, you know, hundreds of thousands. And so I think we can also be hopeful that the confidence level that this is really accomplishing what needs to happen will grow exponentially. You know, as long as we all try to be thoughtful, respectful, and, you know, we've talked a lot about this within the misinformation and the disinformation, and they're two very different things. You know, I think we want to really be respectful in the dialogue and the discussion and share with people the data that shows the real confidence that the healthcare system has that these vaccines are doing the safe and effective job that they were really designed to do. Well, I can tell you I was already quite excited to be able to leave my home and get vaccinated. And, and my seven-year-old, who is usually 
no shots, no vaccines. I cannot. He is also extremely excited, but now I am even more ginned up. So uh, Susan and Janet, thank you both so much for having this very important conversation with us. And I do want to note for our listeners, Janet in particular mentioned some really excellent resources, including a discussion guide. We will be linking uh, those resources mentioned in the episode notes. So be sure to check it out uh, and use it in your own conversations. Well, thank you all for listening today. I encourage you to subscribe to The Pharmacy Benefit and download all of our podcast episodes. You can do that on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. I'm Claire Wolfenjarek. Thanks so much for joining me.